Welcome to the Doodle Kisses podcast, an extension of doodlekisses.com. I'm your host, Adina Pearson. Doodlekisses.com is the social network for Labradoodle and Golden Doodle owners, wannabe owners, and the doodle curious. The goal of this podcast is to provide education, entertainment, and connect with our Doodle Kisses members on the topic of Labradoodles, Golden Doodles, and dogs in general. Today's guest is Jane Killian, breeder of bull terriers and creator of Puppy Culture, a film and program to help puppy owners and breeders shape puppies through their first 12 weeks so that they are well-adjusted pets and doggy citizens. I recorded this episode with Jane in late winter, and as I'm recording the intro today, we are in the early social distancing days of the coronavirus pandemic. My kids and I are on day four of this forced homeschool situation. It's a weird and crazy time with recommendations changing daily. While there are much bigger issues that we face, the challenge of trying to socialize a puppy now is a real challenge. I wrote to Jane this week to see if she had any thoughts on how to get creative with socialization in this climate. She mentioned she will be putting something together soon, so I will hopefully have an extra link in the show notes by the time this airs with how to do this very important work despite social restrictions. In the meantime, enjoy the episode. Hi, Jane, and welcome to the Doodle Kisses podcast. Now, I'm wondering, how do you pronounce your last name? Is it Killian or Killian? Oh, well, it's spelled Killian, but it's pronounced Messenia Lindquist. And what is the origin of that? <laughs> uh, I was married for a very brief time under the name Killian, and I happened to write a book at that time. So unfortunately, I sort of got stuck with that one, <laughs> even <laughs> yeah. though I'm remarried long, long since. Got it. Okay. Well, very interesting. Tell tell me your dog story. Did you have dogs growing up? Yes. We had dogs. We had Malamutes and Labs. And I always say I always loved our dogs. But then we got a Bull Terrier and it, it was a game changer for, for me. They're sort of like dogs, but not really dogs. <laughs> And I still love dogs, and I've had cattle dogs, and from time to time, you know, someday I will again have a cattle dog just so I have a true dog in my house. Uh-huh. But um, the the bull terrier is sort of like a cross between a pig and a human and a dog, and <laughs> they, they, they keep you on your toes, and they're never never a dull moment. How interesting. Well, I, I'm intrigued by bull terriers because, like, historically they were, like, family dogs right and they like were good with kids supposedly from you can correct me if I'm wrong but you don't see them very often now and because Mm -hmm. they're a terrier and they're sort of like a bully breed looking dog I think they still give people the impression of like a scary dog or a dangerous dog right well I I just think people see that with any big muscular dog you Mm -hmm. know that's just that's just how it is uh, you know, the the thing is, it, really, it's good that they're not very popular because they're charming, they're funny, but they're extremely destructive. They're intractable to the point of being almost, it's humorous. I mean, either you've got to have a sense of humor about <clears throat> their ability to look at you and say, yes, I hear you. I know exactly what you want me to do, and this is what I'm going to do, and it's not what you want. And people just have a very hard time enjoying a dog like that. Unless you were sort of like that 
in your own personality, which I am, <laughs> and then and then nothing else will do. Uh huh. So it it's a great dog. It really is a great dog for the right person. And they they just the laughs keep coming, but you have to have the sense of humor to appreciate it. So you've kind of stuck with the bull terrier ever since the first one. Yes, I, we've. I have had two other three cattle dogs. Sorry, I've had three cattle dogs. I have not gotten into breeding cattle dogs, but uh, I breed bull terriers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, bull terriers. We have we have seven in the house right now. That's quite enough. That's Much a as lot. there are a lot of breeds, there are a lot of breeds that intrigue me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're gonna it, listen, we do agility, we do obedience, we show in dog shows, uh-huh. and we breed. So if you think about it, you're always going to have a range of of ages. And by the time we've done a couple litters, we're attached to them. So we have, and fortunately for us, our dogs live a long time. So, you know, we have from 14 and a half to four weeks in this house right now. And you're always going to have that. Yeah. If you're, if you're engaging in all those activities with your dogs. Right. You know, I didn't even mean it's a seven is a lot. I'm just thinking of like intractable seven. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to be a good dog person to be able to manage all of that. You and have a lot of good, strong baby gates and fences and yacht, mm-hmm. we have two, two yards and, and we're here full time. Yeah. That's our, that's our whole life. Right. Uh, and there's a, there's a saying in bull terriers that I, I like to use which is the first eight years is the hardest. After that, it's much better. <laughs> What's their life expectancy? Uh, you know, I don't, I think the average life expectancy is something like nine years old, 10 years old. But of course that takes into account all the very early ones that die of crazy stuff very early. So I would uh-huh. say 13 mm-hmm. is probably a pretty good, hours typically are going 14, 15, even 16. But and those last years, they're great. I mean, uh-huh. from from middle age on, it's a pretty easy dog. It's the it's the youthful, exuberant ones that that are more challenging. <laughs> but it sounds like you're up for the challenge. So absolutely, you know what you're getting into. You didn't expect a teddy bear that sits there and looks cute. <laughs> nope, nope. <laughs> so our audience is primarily um, doodle owners. Labradoodle and Golden Doodle, but there's Mm -hmm. other poodle mixes happening nowadays. Mm -hmm. Um, And so mostly pet owners, though. I think there's some Mm -hmm. breeders that listen now and then. And what Mm -hmm. I have gathered from your program is that it's primarily for breeders. Is that correct? Well, that's an interesting question because it's really not for breeders or for puppy owners. It's for puppies. Mm -hmm. So it's dealing with the developmental period of puppies through the critical socialization period, which very much does apply to puppy owners. That's true. So you're thinking through 12 weeks? Well, okay. So your question is how long is the critical socialization period? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. One thing that I knew when I made the film, but have learned even more so since the film coming out is the tremendous variability in developmental periods between breeds, between litters, and even puppies within litters. Mm -hmm. So from my experience dealing with a lot of different dogs, sometimes it can be soft. You 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 have a week or two either way that either earlier or later before 12 weeks, but best practice is to assume 12 weeks. You might have more time, but get your work in before 12 weeks. That's your safest option. 
because as I'm sure we're going to get into, the, the critical socialization period is not, it is a true developmental period where the brain is wired and works differently and you have different opportunities than you do later. So it's not a an option or just, hey, you know, we're just going to get the dog out and, you know, whether it happens at five months or 12 weeks, it doesn't matter. No, it's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So it is important for puppy owners to understand that. And yes, you may have more time, but do yourself a favor. In my seminars where I've dealt with puppies, the difference between a 14-week-old puppy and a 12-week-old puppy is huge in terms of learning. And what they're capable of absorbing or like imprinting. Right. Well, okay. So this is my hypothesis. First, I'm going to tell you my observations and the observations of others. And what happens in the critical socialization period is that puppies with as little as one exposure can uh, form a good association about something. Mm -hmm. This is what we call classically conditioned association, meaning to say they're not trained to like a man with a beard, but they meet a man with a beard one time. They have an emotionally salient experience. They either have an affectionate encounter or they get food. And pretty much for the rest of their life, you can check off that box. If the puppy's under 12 weeks old, normally that puppy's going to be perfectly fine with men with beard after if they, if they meet them once. Now, if you have a dog that is five months old that has never met a man with a beard, it might take hundreds of exposures to get that same result. The puppy is going to start to be afraid of novelty. And even if you can condition that puppy to like men, it's going to take a lot more repetitions. And chances are you're going to have to maintain that nexus, meaning to say every time they meet a man with a beard, it's going to have to be a pleasant experience. Otherwise, that association of man with beard and pleasant experience is broken. Not to get too technical because I'm not sure about, I don't think your, your audience is dog trainers. I think they're pet people, pet owners. So, but this is the way the classical condition, these are the rules of classical conditioning is that, which is emotional conditioning that you have to always be pairing the, the good thing with the not good thing for the not good thing to feel good. So the Mm -hmm. the scary man with a beard is going to, now the difference is when you're dealing with puppies under 12 weeks, two things that we have observed. Number one, it only takes one trial, meaning to say one time that puppy as little as one, sometimes it might take two or three, but never more than two or three times the puppy pairs something that's sort of weird to the puppy with something good done. You can check off the box. So that's number one. Number two, it appears to be durable in a way that it's not after the puppy exits that critical socialization period at around 12 weeks old. Meaning to say, you don't, the man, once you introduce the puppy to the man with the beard in that critical socialization period, and the puppy has a good experience, and that conditional, that classically conditioned emotional response is formed, you don't have to maintain it by having a man with a beard feed the puppy every time. You don't, it's done. It's there. And it's going to be pretty durable and resistant to extinction. Like even if the puppy has a meh experience with a man with a beard afterwards, they're kind of going to fall back to that initial experience. So th- this is why it's, it's not 
it, as we say, socialization is a term of art. It's a term of science. It's not just taking your puppy to the dog park and exposing, exposing the puppy. It's not just wholesale exposure. And it's not just habituation exposure where they just see it. Mm-hmm. It is the actual having coupling novelty with a good consequence. Something good happens. The puppy goes to the vet. We advocate for happiness vet visits before you take your puppy even in for a shot. You bring your puppy to the vet, put the puppy on the table, the puppy gets cookies, the puppy goes home. Mm-hmm. If you can get that work done in before 12 weeks, you are you are saving yourself a, a world of hurt down the line. That's amazing that the, what you said about one time might be enough because in my head, I was probably thinking, you know, like repeated, like you have to see vacuums every day and you have to, you know, do all of this. And it, it's pretty amazing and significant that that one time can make such a big impression. But I imagine if one good association forms a lifetime of association, then one bad association could too. Well, you took the words right out of my mouth because that is the other thing that is the that that is so so important for pet owners to understand is that the emotional sensitivity that allows the puppy to imprint a good experience with as little as one exposure will in equal or even more measure allow that puppy to imprint a bad experience. So Circling back to socialization and and the concepts of socialization, the concept of socializing your puppy is really a fairly recent one in, in the sense of disseminating that information that you have to socialize your puppy and you have to do it young. People didn't really understand that until fairly recently. Mm-hmm. And I think Ian Dunbar really was the one who championed it. And he we owe him a great debt of gratitude for that because he he brought it forward to consciousness, to public consciousness that you have to do that. However, in the intervening years since he did that, I think we've realized that some refinements are in order. Mm -hmm. And one refinement in order is that you always, always, always should be emphasizing quality over quantity with socialization experiences. You do not meet, need to meet hundreds of dogs and hundreds of people. If you ever have the slightest question about whether an experience is going to be a positive one for your puppy, pass on that interaction. Mm-hmm. Do not do it. You don't need it. It will take a hundred good exposures to undo one bad exposure and you may never, if it's bad enough, you may never really be able to undo it fully if it happens just at the wrong time. So I think the takeaway is do your work, do it early, do your socialization, make sure all experiences are positive. We have a mantra at Puppy Culture, all exposures should be curated and controlled, curated and controlled. You know the outcome, you know the person, you know the dog. So again, bringing your puppy to a dog park is a never, never. Right. I mean, just, you know, maybe a really stable adult dog, that's up to you. I'm not a fan, but maybe. Playmates, of course, playmates that you know that are appropriate, that you are 100% sure that that other dog or puppy will play nicely with your puppy, 100%. I 
I fully recommend that you do individual play dates. Really, dog play is a dyad. It's two animals. It's really not meant to be a whole boiling group of animals Mm. running around together. Your puppy does not need to play with more than one puppy at a time. Mm -hmm. Free puppy groups, puppy free play groups are great for puppies under 12 weeks. Although, again, you should you should watch our puppy culture film where Dr. Terry Bright from the MSPCA Boston shows you her, I would say, model puppy class where the the instructor to puppy ratio is very high and they're constantly managing the interaction, constantly moving puppies from one play group to another play group, dividing the room until they see the play appropriate play breakout. Because you can easily, if you have poorly matched puppies, you can easily have one learning to be a bully and the other one learning to be afraid. Mm-hmm. So group puppy classes with, I would say, some caution are fine for very young puppies. But over 12 weeks, one-on-one play, play dates are really the best. Okay. Yeah. You know, part of this is so exciting to learn. And the other part, I'm like, my, the anxious side of me is like, <gasps> what if I mess up? (laughs) What if I can't get the the ratio right? Well, you know what they say, don't worry. You will not make the same mistakes with your new puppy as you did with all your other dogs. You'll make all new mistakes. Yay. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a learning process, isn't it? I Mm -hmm. mean, for all of us, for, for me too. I mean, I, I, I'm always saying that if I never change my mind about anything, if I never have to say, hey, we were wrong about something at some point, then I've stopped learning and I need to get out of this. Mm-hmm. Anyone who tells you this is the way it is, I've been doing this for X years and this is the right way and it's the only way and it's never going to change and just do what I say, uh, you know, don't trust that person. Yeah. I can see how it'd be easy to become that person if, you know, your way has worked for you. <laughs> you do, but you're doing the best you can. Yeah, and, and that's absolutely. always, we're always doing the best we can with the, with the information that we have. And, and you're not a machine, you're not a computer, and you're going to do the best you can. And sometimes, despite everything, it could happen that something bad does happen to your puppy. And that's where you hope that you got your puppy from a breeder who does either puppy culture or something like puppy culture where the the breeder has instilled emotional resilience in the puppy Mm -hmm. so that that you can fall back on that, that, that the puppy will be able to overcome the bad experience, but it happens, you know, I mean, it's absolutely, you you do what you can. (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned puppy culture, the film and who is that Mm -hmm. aimed at and where can people watch it? Well, we, we have it available in streaming and DVD formats it's shoppuppyculture.com. So shoppuppyculture.com. And it's, as I say, it's aimed at the developmental period of the puppy, which is from birth through the critical socialization period. They're starting at four weeks. What, what a puppy owner would see starting at four weeks is the same exact thing that we do with any dog. So even though it's demonstrated on very young puppies, most all of the film, except maybe the first few, like half an hour of the film, it is applicable to puppy owners. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I understand why it's viewed as sort of a breeder uh, product because it 
goes from birth forward, but really it is how we teach all. I've done a lot of rescue. I sometimes take in adult dogs because I do, I show dogs and I start all my dogs and puppies and rescues. And sometimes I buy puppies exactly the same way as I do in that film, beginning at the the four week section. Mm Mm-hmm. And I also have to say, I think it's really important for puppy owners to watch even the beginning of the film before they buy a puppy to understand what a good dog breeder is, the impact that a dog breeder can have on their puppies, and even just to have that understanding of the developmental trajectory of the puppy is really helpful. It's mm-hmm. it's really helpful to understand who they are and where they, and how they keep changing. We will be coming out with another film, which will deal more into the old, the later part of the socialization period and into adolescence and young adult, adulthood. But again, emphasizing developmental periods, which we didn't even really talk about this. We jumped right into socialization. But the emphasis of puppy culture is understanding where your puppy is developmentally and serving them the experience they need at that time. Mm-hmm. I, I, I hate to use this abbreviation, but I, I think it's something that makes it easy for your your listeners to understand. It's sort of like puppy Montessori. Okay. It's experiential learning. We do encourage, interestingly, sort of like Montessori, mixing up ages like, you know, puppy to puppy play is fine, but puppy to nanny and nano, as we say, adult play is really good too, because they can model behaviors. It's about but mostly it's about observing, learning to observe and see where your puppy is and what they need at that time, rather than just saying, well, you know, they're nine weeks old, so this is what we're going to teach them and what we're going to do. It's more like, well, what are they showing me and what can they do and what do they need to do? Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to give them that and help them grow as the individuals that they all are. Okay. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. Like it'd be a fun watch regardless of what kind of dog owner you are. Oh my gosh. I I just have to say, you cannot believe how many people send us videos and pictures of the entire family, kids as young as three and four years old, teenagers that are surly and not interested in doing anything, all sitting together watching puppy culture. It's oh. like, it's a teach you, it's a teach you mentor. You're following the story of this litter from birth through about, well, through 12 weeks. And then we go, we check in with them over the next few years. So you see how they grow up and people love it. Families yeah. love it. It's a great family film. Oh, that's awesome. Now, I've heard of early neurological stimulation that a lot of breeders use. And I know, you know, there's various guidelines they follow for introducing new experiences. And I get the sense there's some of that involved. But when I see ads on Facebook, it looks kind of like something for show breeders and stacking. And I'm curious, what, how would you describe puppy culture? What's different about it versus other? Well, first of all, we, we also have a whole show handling series because I am an AKC judge. And we do show our dogs, but that's separate from the puppy culture films. Got it. That we did, what we did was we did the puppy culture film, which is the core protocols that we think anybody should be doing with puppies, no matter what you're going to do with the puppy, whether it's performance, pet, therapy, show, this is what you should do with any puppy at minimum by 12 weeks old. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have things in there like leash walking, crate training, uh, recall the standard canon of pet obedience. Everything you really would need to know as a pet owner is in there. Then what we did was because we got a lot of 
questions from people about the other activities that we do. We did what we called an unplugged series, which is delving into uh, micro topics that are of interest, boutique topics. So we have our show handling series. We have attention is the mother of all behaviors, which is, uh, you know, anybody really needs that no matter what you're going to do. But these are all less edited, less produced, more live training kind of things that really show you the nuts and bolts of how to do these things. Mm-hmm. We have one on scent, scent, scent games and teaching scent work and stuff like that. So we have that series. But puppy culture itself, we don't cover show handling in puppy culture. And as far as ENS goes, it's a tiny portion of puppy culture, what we show. It's just in the very beginning, we did interview Dr. Battaglia, who popularized early neurological stimulation. And we did a lot of research on it ourselves independently first. And we satisfied ourselves that there is reasonable evidence that under the right circumstances where the puppies are not stressed and there is good maternal care, it can help. But it is really the least of any protocol that we do in puppy culture. It's a tiny portion. We mostly put it in there because a lot of people were doing it wrong and causing harm to their puppies. So we just want to kind of clarify for people that more is not better and this is how you do it. And, you know, People are going to do it, so we want to make sure they did it right. But it's a very small portion of the film, of the program. It really – and furthermore, I've written some blogs on this since it came out. We are developing different protocols for early neurological shaping based on our experience and research since the film came out because, again, early neurological stimulation is great for – where you have the bitch is fully caring for the puppies. You're not really touching them anyway, maybe a kennel situation or a, a, a dam that really doesn't want you to touch the puppies. But if you handle the puppies anyway, or if the puppies are stressed, probably early neurological stimulation is not going to bring marginal benefits, mm-hmm. but there are, other, there are other kinds of neurological stimulation that will bring added benefits in those cases. Mm-hmm. So again, it's a question of observing, understanding your situation, understanding what's going on with that litter today and and do serving what that litter needs. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say if a breeder leads with I do ENS as a way of saying I'm a good breeder, that is not convincing to me at all. I mean, it's not it's nothing. I mean, if they say if they have video and pictures of them socializing their puppies, teaching them how to walk on leash, manding, which I, I don't know if we'll have a chance to get to that. If they have pictures of all that stuff, now I'm convinced you're you're the real deal. ENS is not – it's not separating the sheep from the goats when it comes to breeders. And I have no idea why people associate it with the entire – like a lot of people will say, oh, I – I don't do puppy culture. I already do ENS. It's like, mm-hmm. what has that got to do with anything? So ENS sounds like something done very, very early, but not something that you do the full eight, 10 weeks. Is that right? Oh yeah. It's 16 days. Uh huh. It's the first 16 days and it just involves a little bit of manipulation of the puppies. Yeah. Which you would hope the puppies would get anyway. Well, I mean, yeah, like I said, yes or no, because sometimes like <clears throat> I have a friend that breeds German shepherds and those dams will not let 
the, the breeders touch the puppies for the first hmm. two weeks. I mean, it, yes, they're very protective of their puppies. They take care of them. Whereas the bull terrier mothers, they won't stay in the box if you don't sit with them. <laughs> so you're always touching those puppies. It's, uh-huh. it's Again, what I've learned and learned so much in the past four years from since this film came out, and I've had so much contact with so many breeders on the puppy culture discussion group is that you almost can't talk about dog breeding practices. You almost have to talk per breed. It's so different. I see. Now, yeah. like with doodles, I imagine you probably are in there with the puppy. Are you a, are, are you breeding? Do you breed? I'm not a breeder. No. Okay. I've never even seen a whelping in real life. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, okay. The doodles, I would imagine it's a, is this a, the audience is mostly doodle owners? Yes, yes. We said, I would imagine that most doodles are going to be soft and they're going to be, they're not going to be guardy about their puppies. That's they're my gonna, impression yeah. too. I've seen, yeah. you know, videos of like their children sitting in the whelping box with the new, right. It's pretty mellow. This episode is sponsored by Adina Pearson Nutrition. That's right, when I'm not talking doodle, I'm helping women of all ages find peace and joy with food. I'm a registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor specializing in eating disorders, emotional eating, and breaking free from yo-yo dieting. Struggling with food is common for a lot of people even when life is normal. With the added stress of today's required social distancing and anxiety over what the coronavirus pandemic means for our individual and collective future, Feeding yourself in a normal and healthy way can get derailed. If you struggle with any level of disordered eating or obsessive thoughts about food, you will likely see an increase in these thoughts and behaviors during times like these. Or you might feel great pressure to eat just right from a place of anxiety and seeking to control something only to see it controlling you back. Or you might flip to the other extreme of putting your self-care with food way on the back burner and feeling worse because of it. If you're tired of food controlling your life or simply feel confused about what, when, or how you're supposed to eat in times like these and want to stress less about it without ignoring your health, I can help you restore peace and confidence to your eating. While I'm based in Washington, telehealth technology allows me to work with clients through many areas of the United States. Visit adinapearson.com to learn more. Don't spend another day fighting with food or your body. Reach out today to get started on a life free of food worries. You go to great lengths to take care of your dog's health. Don't forget to invest in your health and happiness too. So I I would love to talk about manding, but I want to go back to some earlier questions. Um, Mm -hmm. There are so many, I hear so many mixed opinions on how long breeders should keep puppies. So Mm -hmm. from a behaviorist, I've heard, you know, if you can get to 12 weeks, that's wonderful because of all, Mm -hmm. you know, all the things they learn from each other and bite inhibition. And, uh, you know, maybe a show, a judge that I spoke with suggested, you know, they really should go home by eight or nine weeks unless they're very small dogs, because otherwise they don't bond to the people that that Mm -hmm. purchase them. And I'm wondering, what's your opinion? What, what do you think about ideal time? (laughs) Well, there's a lot of moving parts to this equation, and you really have to drop them all in and come up with the best practice. Again, it's never a simple answer, and it depends. I'm going to tell you what we do, and then I'm going to explain why, and then I'm going to tell you why you can't take that and just run with it with any breed. We like to place our puppies at 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. The reason we like to do this is because 
<clears throat> the puppies experience a fear period at eight weeks. We ours typically do. We don't like to do a vaccination during that time, so we do a vaccination at nine weeks. We like to wait a week after that vaccination before taking the puppies off premises. So like 10 weeks is the first time that we feel we can hand that puppy to the owner and say, okay, you can go out now and socialize this puppy off campus safely. Meanwhile, it sort of, it splits up that last active part of this critical socialization period. We're keeping them through that fear period where the, if something bad happens, you know, it could be kind of disastrous. We're, we're nursing the puppies through that. We're putting a little extra training on the puppies, which makes all the difference in the world to the puppy owners. Mm -hmm. But yet we're still giving the puppy owner the time to customize the socialization experience because the puppy has to be acclimated to what they're going to do. I don't have a boat, but maybe the puppy owner has a boat. I don't have livestock, but maybe the puppy owner has livestock. Whatever it is that that puppy's going to be expected to deal with the rest of its life, in that two weeks from 10 to 12 weeks is the time every day they should be out experiencing something new and something that they're going to be expecting to see. So for us, this represents a really good compromise between us handling the more difficult parts of the developmental, the trickier parts of the developmental period, the fear periods, and also us just getting a little more training on the puppy so it's going to be easier for the puppy owner. Does that make sense what I'm saying? That makes perfect sense. So, but however, now let me circle back again to my friend that breeds German Shepherds. By nine weeks old, her puppies are, her litter mates are seriously taking each other's on, each other on and they're beginning to mistrust novelty. Those puppies really maybe need to go before 10 weeks. She it really doesn't make for her to keep them for 10 weeks. I have another friend that breeds Norwich Terriers. They're still nursing at 10 weeks. So I don't think that you really can make a blanket statement except to say you you really want to give, I feel, the breeder the maximum amount of time to do a good job with the puppies and and, and get through the most difficult parts of the socialization period. And But you also want to divide it so that the owner has sometime in the critical socialization period to customize the socialization period to their situation. I don't really think there's any situation probably, you know, where six weeks is, is a good time to place right. a puppy. Although as a breeder, I, we co-own bitches and I, I, I think you guys call something like guardianship or something like that where, you know, we, we divide litters all the time. Like, we'll say, hey, you know, I'll take half, you take half at six weeks, we'll split them up, we'll move them around. But it's a different situation. we got a house full of dogs, you're taking all the, half the litter, you're not taking one, you know, you're mixing. It's 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 not really the same as placing a puppy with a puppy owner. Mm -hmm. So then there are other considerations like, is the breeder a good breeder? I mean, if the breeder is a not a good breeder and not doing anything with the puppies and just has them in a pen. And maybe there's some toys in the pen, but they're not training the puppies every day. They're not socializing the puppies. They're not introducing new experiences. You know, maybe you're better off to get your puppy younger and, and go ahead and do that yourself. So if you're dealing with a good breeder who does puppy culture or puppy culture is not the only 
program in the world, but some similar program where they're actively teaching the puppies, training the puppies, socializing the puppies every day, spending time with those puppies, bringing them along. Probably 10 weeks is is a good time for most breeds. I would say for for like a doodle, probably 10 weeks is a good good time. And the take-home message is, you know, talk to your breeder and ask a lot of questions about what they're puppy raising program is to find out what are they doing. (laughs) I mean, from what I've seen, most doodle breeders across the board send puppies home at eight weeks. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. if they stay an extra day, it ends up being a charge for like boarding or something. Um, eh, Not an extra day, but you know, if, if they really are on that eight week (laughs) line. Well, I mean, you know, listen, I can't say, what I can say is that the doodle breeders have been overwhelmingly have adopted puppy culture. I, mm-hmm. I, 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 we sell more puppy culture material to doodle breeders than any other breed by far. I've been very impressed by the community. I've done, uh, uh, I did a presentation for one of the, I, I think you have two big organizations and I did one in New York city and the level of commitment, interest, and, and just commitment to raising puppies. Well, really impressed me. It That's really cool. impressed me. So I think there are doodle breeders out there who are doing a good job, certainly. And I think there are certainly some that are not pushing them out the door at eight weeks. And and frankly, I don't know when doodles have their fear periods. I mean, it's a hybrid of two breeds. I, I couldn't even venture to guess, you know, what how your lines run or, or, or what, what happens. So Again, I don't want to malign anyone who places a puppy at eight weeks because who knows in certain circumstances it could be the best thing. But as a rule, the breeders that are willing to keep the puppies a little longer and work with them are probably your better breeders Mm -hmm. as a rule. Yeah, yeah. Which brings me to another really, really important point that I cannot overemphasize is puppy culture has become how can I say an advertising it's become a marketing term. So everybody says they do puppy culture Mm. and a lot of people I'm sure have actually watched the film, but as a puppy buyer, the only way to know if your puppy, if your breeder is doing puppy culture is to a watch the film yourself and understand what it really is and B watch the breeder in action with the puppies. What see is the puppy is the breeder posting pictures of the puppies every day in just a posed picture or with toys in a pen, or is the breeder posting pictures of working with the puppies, training the puppies, taking the puppies around, new experiences for the puppies, socializing the puppies. You have to be an educated consumer with this. You cannot rely on a breeder saying, "Oh yeah, I I do puppy culture." Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really wise to to look into that. And some breeders post a lot of pictures and others don't. So it's hard to tell sometimes. But that's where I think just asking and talking about it and finding out, okay, what, what is it that you do? And, mm-hmm. and why do you keep your puppies till eight weeks? You know, why? Not, not in a, an accusatory way, because that's not how I mean it, but just to understand their thinking. It's completely, I would say, patently untrue that the puppy will not bond with you if it's kept past eight weeks. It's just not true. Right. I, I, I mean, there are very few things I can say that's not true with any certainty because in some breeds, you know, there can be exceptions, but keeping a puppy till 10 weeks, 
absolutely does not in any way diminish the amount that puppy is going to bond with its new owners. Yeah, I agree. I've, I think I've seen enough examples not to be overly concerned about that. So I guess I want to find out a little bit about manding because it's mm-hmm. such an interesting term and what I've seen mm-hmm. looks really interesting to me. Okay, well, the, the, the very first training protocol that we do with puppies is at four weeks. But again, this is something that I do with adult rescue dogs, adult show dogs, any dog that comes in. And we teach them what we call a manding behavior. And manding means to ask. And what this is, it's a concept for the puppy that it's possible to get your attention and ask for something by offering a behavior. So we use a sit so that if the puppy needs or wants something, they'll come in front of you and sit. So if the puppy needs to go outside, they'll sit in front of you. If the puppy's hungry, they'll sit. Whatever they want, it's asking. It's teaching the puppy to ask for something. Mm-hmm. And the the emotional and cognitive benefits of this are really amazing. And and the difference it makes in puppies is amazing because it's giving the puppies literally a voice. It's it's giving the puppies a way that they can talk to you and communicate a need. So much of the trouble between puppy owners and puppies is that the puppy having an uh, not having a an acceptable way to communicate a need and the puppy owner taking issue with the way the puppy chooses <laughs> whether it's jumping, biting, peeing on the floor, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I actually wrote an article that explains it very well for the IAABC journal. The the science behind why probably there are these benefits is very deep and interesting. And I I cite some articles, but we we borrowed the the term manding from the lexicon of of human uh, occupational therapy dealing with autistic children, nonverbal, mm-hmm. nonverbal human beings. And and what happens is when they teach nonverbal human beings how to man, there are these huge behavioral benefits. There's less tantrums, they act out less, they're calmer. And we have observed similar behavioral benefits with the puppies. Now, let me just say, it's not sitting politely for petting. That's a different thing. That's a rule, not mm-hmm. a concept. This is the concept that it is possible to get something from a human by sitting in front of them. The sitting politely for petting is a rule that they cannot get anything until they sit, which is way beyond the mental ability of any young puppy. They just don't have the if-then reasoning power, the front part of their brain, the executive function part, is really not working that well. The emotional learning part of their brain is working overtime, which is why, circling back, my hypothesis is why it's so easy to imprint good experiences on a puppy, because the emotional part of the brain is all wired up and ready to go. But the thinking, it's just like Teenagers. I mean, they're they're we're young kids. They they have no executive function. They really can't. You know, they'll go to school with a a t-shirt in January. They don't know. You know, you have to tell them no. You have to wear a coat. So it the brain develops from back to front. It it develops from emotional to executive to to reasoning. So puppies don't have that ability to reason, wow, if I want something, you know, I can't get anything unless I sit. You shouldn't 
make it a prerequisite to access resources. Young puppies are babies. When you bring them home, they should have access to resources like babies. I mean, you shouldn't it, gradually as they get older, you start imposing rules. But with your young under 12 week old puppy, you want concepts, not rules. That's what they can understand. That's what they need. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing that's really amazing about this, that, that again, just a hypothesis is that it is the caregiver response syndrome. What, what it does is it, I don't know if you know the Russian orphanage baby studies, but, but when they allowed babies just to cry and cry and cry and cry and cry and nobody comforted them, they grew up so that when they could not be comforted, that they had no oxytocin release when they, when somebody touched them or Mm -hmm. they they had an almost autistic like Mm -hmm. responses. So caregiver response to babies, to to young animals is really, really important to that developing that hormonal loop of of pleasure in 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 the company of people and trusting people and growing up to be an emotionally stable adult. So manding is one way of giving that puppy a voice so you can respond to their needs and it it really enhances that caregiver response loop. Oh, I love it. If you had to pick one thing, and that it might not be possible, one thing of most important in the puppy culture protocol that you teach, what would that be? I, I can't say it's a thing so much as a concept, which is mm. to observe your puppies and serve them what they need at that time. Mm-hmm. The puppy is the customer, and the customer is always right. <laughs> yes, I love that. The whole point of breeding, it has to be to do well by the dogs, not just to make puppies, you know? Absolutely. And I will, I will add, you know, that as a, as an AKC breeder, we believe in purpose bred dogs. And I do believe the best, the cream of the crop doodle mm-hmm. breeders are breeding purpose bred dogs because their purpose is to be good family companions. And the fact that they've embraced puppy culture to the extent that they can, mm-hmm. I think speaks uh, speaks volumes and they're putting their literally their money where their mouth is and doing the work and I I applaud them. Yeah, I mean being a solid confident family companion is an important role because not that many people are using dogs for the purposes they were bred for 50 years ago or 100 years ago. It's true, but it's you know that's a little bit of another sidebar. It's interesting. I mean dogs are like a living museum of our history as people. Mm-hmm. And we literally could not have civilization had we not had dogs. And I could talk for hours about that and <laughs> each dog is a little window into part of our history as human beings and we are to a large extent a co-evolved species. Mm-hmm. And doodles are a part of that window too. I mean they they're part of that history too. Because it's talking about a time where we had the leisure, leisure and the luxury that, for the most part, we no longer had to rely on dogs to, just to be able to exist in this world. But that's a very recent development. I mean, until, listen, my grandmother's generation, we still needed dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, my grandmother was born at the turn of the century, believe it or not. Oh, not the turn, 1910. <laughs> and uh, you you still had places where dogs did all the work. Yeah. I mean, listen, the... The milkman had horses back when my mother was born. So this, <laughs> I think the younger people today tend to, to think, well, you know, nobody does it. We don't need this purpose-bred dogs. Nobody right. does the purpose. But it's, it's our heritage, and it's an important part of our heritage that we do not forget. 
Yes. And I, in no way did I mean that we shouldn't have the breeds that we do. No, only I that understand. only that now it makes sense that a lot of people want a dog that is just <laughs> a companion and doesn't necessarily have all these drives. That is a things. purpose. Yeah. That is a purpose. And it reflects what our society is today. And it, I'm not, I'm not saying that in a bad way, but it's their purpose bred dogs. Absolutely. Yeah. So one final question, a breeder friend of mine who breeds golden retrievers asked is, do you have any suggestions or materials for families to continue the work that she started? She mentioned that some families don't want to spend the money on the DVD or stream it, but they would love like handouts or, you know, a book or something um, simpler to refer to. And I'm wondering, do you have any plans for things like that? Well, we are doing a second second film, but I, I hate to disappoint her. It will not be less expensive. Probably it will be longer and more expensive <laughs> because it's just, it, it, it. listen, there is a ton of material out there on puppies and it's all terrible. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say it's all terrible, <laughs> but for the most part, it, it's not filling the need. And the reason being that it's not a topic which is susceptible to a one-hour film, mm-hmm. just not. Now, the one thing that, that I have written a book called When Pigs Fly, Training Success with Impossible Dogs. I'm going to tell you, the title says Impossible Dogs. It's the best way to train any dog. And it really has everything you're going to need to train any dog in there. The the difference between impossible dogs and a golden retriever is that with impossible dogs, you don't have any options. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the only way you can do it. With golden retrievers, you might be able to suppress them or use a choke collar or whatever, and they'll do what you want. With a bull terrier, they're just going to say, to heck with you. You know, you have to be smarter than them and get into their head and buy mind share with them. So the what I would say as far as a send home, when pigs fly is a great send home. For, okay. for that. And attention is the mother of all behaviors. Our, that video is a great send home. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Just because that, that is you almost, listen, nobody really has trouble teaching their puppy do any behavior. It's easy. I mean, you go to class, you learn to, it, it, it's, it's this distraction. Yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. Exactly. It's getting them. To, I mean, every puppy knows how to walk on leash, sit down and come. They know how to do it. Mm-hmm. It's getting them to do it in the face of distraction. And that's what, that's why we called it attention is the mother of all behaviors, because it is literally, if you don't have attention, you can't do any of the stuff you taught your puppy to do. So I highly, highly recommend that to any pet owner. I highly, highly recommend puppy culture to any pet owner. I, I mean, listen, you were think of it as you're saving yourself a, a six week course in pet training because it's it's all in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, all the all the stuff you would learn if you went to a pet class is in there, and you might save yourself a world of hurt by watching it by not making a lot of mistakes. Love it. Okay. Well, I will definitely link to your websites and to the article that you mentioned on manding or some you know around that area and. Thank you so much for being here, Jane. I appreciate your time and expertise. You have been wonderful. I have enjoyed it so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast. If you have any ideas or recommendations for future topics or guests, send me an email at admin at doodlekisses.com. 
doodlekisses.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at doodlekisses.com. Also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts so you can have every episode ready to listen to as soon as it comes out. The show notes will link you to our GoFundMe page as well as links to some of the things we discussed in today's episode. Talk to you next time on the next episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast.